I love families and uh, it's been interesting uh, to put this together. So I'm, uh, let, let's just get underway. The subject of the family is very, very topical at the moment and we'd need probably four or five weeks really to cover it well. But as we look at a couple of aspects this morning, uh, these are the foundational words that I want to read uh, first so that we can have them in the back of our mind, sort of like a screensaver that keeps popping up in our minds. So I want you to listen carefully to uh, these words. Christians have been saved by the grace and mercy of God through Jesus, God's only son, who went to the cross in our place, taking all of our sin and every other sin that ever was and ever will be on his body. And he was made a sacrifice for us, satisfying the wrath of God because of our sin. God raised Jesus from the dead. And now, by repenting of our sin and believing in Jesus, we are made right with God and at that moment, we are accepted and adopted into God's eternal family. Keep that in the back of your mind. Some of you just went, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've saved me. Others went, I've heard those words before, but I'm not sure where I stand with that. And others went, what the? I've never heard that before in my whole life. In fact, I haven't been to church for a long time, but I, I, I've never heard that. So as a result of that, Obviously, our prayer is that today, that all of us, no matter what situation we're in, will listen with an open heart and open mind to what God's Holy Spirit says to us today. It's not me that speaks, when anybody speaks here, it's not us, it's actually God's Holy Spirit that does the word. So you might pray silently that God speaks to you and teaches us this morning. Many years ago, when my kids were very, very small, I was in a park and there was a guy standing beside me. And we sort of got chatting. I didn't know the guy, but he had four kids in the park running around like mad things, four boys. And they were having a great time. And, I, and at one point in the conversation, I said to him, so if you had your time again, would you have kids? And he looked at me and he looked at his kids. He looked back and he smiled and he said, yeah, I would. Just not these ones. <laughs> it is a mystery. It is a mystery but God in his sovereignty and with his purposes in mind for our lives have placed us into a family of some shape, size and description. So when I speak this morning, I'm not necessarily speaking to mum, dad, the kids, that sort of I'm speaking to the whole lot of you. Some will be specific, obviously. Chuck Swindoll said, families can be the source of our greatest joy, but also the source of our greatest sorrow. And that is so true. And many of them, I think there's nobody in this place that would have ever not experienced both sides of that coin. So when you hear the word family, what pops into your mind? Is it like these great memories that come back? You think of all these terrific things? Or is it quite the opposite and it's bitter? Because there's been some wounds that you are carrying or there's been some history in your family that remains with you and it hurts to be in a family. And even for some of you, it might be, well, like this is like a bit of a fairy tale because the reality is I haven't really grown up in a family, so to speak. On the screen, you can see that there's a, a picture of a perfect family. No, that's not it. <laughs> Go back to the other picture when there was no picture. That's the picture of the perfect family right there. <laughs> there is no picture of a perfect family because there is no perfect family. When I was nine in, in 1967, when I was 10 years old, and everybody's going, oh, he's 58, okay, righto. When I was 10 years old, the family was pretty easy to sort of work out what it was. Because there was mum and there was dad and there was a couple of kids. Sometimes there was an adopted child. We heard a little bit about divorce, divorce, not much. 
but it was pretty, pretty easy to understand. But for a 10-year-old living in 2015, it's a whole different ball game. The things that they are hearing, the things that they are seeing, the things that they're involved with with people at uh, their, their schools and all that sort of stuff. And even TV shows have changed over those decades as well. For example, Happy Days. Remember this show? You had the Cunninghams, Mr and Mrs Cunningham. They loved each other. They had Joni and Richie who got on really, really well together. And then there was Fonzie, who wasn't part of the family, but they sort of adopted him and brought him into the family too. They'd have some arguments and things would go wrong, but, you know, 29 passed, just about spot on. Everything would get itself back together and they'd all live happily ever after again. And that was during the 50s and sort of into the 60s. Then 1989 came along and we had the most dysfunctional family that will ever hit the screens. Unfortunately, they were animated and that was these guys, the Simpsons. We have a father who is, how do I describe it, stupid. He is a fool. He makes men look stupid. Mum's trying to hold the whole thing together. You've got a defiant son. The relationships are totally, totally... And we laughed at it. But what we were doing at the same time, we were actually taking it in and our children were taking it in and they were learning from it too and even imitating some of those things. Step forward again and now we come to a show called The Modern Family. And I'm thinking that this show gives us a very gentle preview of the future of what many families are going to look like and things that we're going to be seeing that are going to become uh, the norm. I don't want to dwell on those things. Thanks, uh, I don't want to dwell on these things. Uh, but the reality is we see things changing. We see things at the moment with adoption laws and all of those types of deals that are being looked at. I guess the one that really struck me most, I, I read a, an article not so long ago in Canada, in Nova Scotia. There were two men who were married to each other, as they're able to in Canada. And um, they were in a bar and they saw another guy and they fell in love with this guy. And over time they decided it was not a good thing. It wasn't fair that he wasn't included in the relationship. And so the two that were married divorced and then they brought this other guy into the relationship they bought a bigger bed so they could all sleep in the same bed live together but it doesn't finish there because then two of the sisters uh, decided that they would they're willing to donate eggs and then surrogate children because these men wanted to bring children into this family and so this is the big change that's happening in the family at this stage and as Christians we are to engage with people in society no matter what's going on, we are to engage with them. But as we do that, we've got some very, very important decisions to make when it comes to the family and to who and what we're going to listen to and which path we're going to go down. Every day, I bet you we're picking this up, that we're relentlessly being shouted at by the TV set, by TV panel shows, by talk shows, by ads, by political figures, by movie stars that apparently every time they say something, it's gospel and the world better listen to it because they know what they're talking about. And every sitcom that comes on TV, we're seeing such huge changes in what the family looks like and what's now being accepted in society. But not only that, but as we're being shouted at, the other thing we're being shouted at is that what, the marriage, what marriage and what the family should be defined as, and indeed that reform is needed right now to bring us into the 21st century so we don't live in the archaic world of the Dark Ages. What once was normal is now not the normal anymore. Today, if you hold the idea of marriage and the family unit as God has laid out for us, the world doesn't say, well, let's debate it. They actually mock you and they tell you that you're not inclusive and you are offensive. And not only that, you should be silent. It's really interesting what's going on. And sadly, a lot of Christians and some that I know and some that I'm on Facebook with too, 
Uh, over the last 10 years, uh, they were Bible-believing Christians. They, they held these family, um, uh, how, how God has put the family together, how marriage has been put together. But over 10 years, they've swung around 180 degrees. And it's interesting as to why uh, that would happen. And it's interesting too also because when you speak to them or when you read what they're saying, you never ever hear, look, the reason why I now believe these things about a family or marriage is because I was reading God's word. And very clearly what he says here is, you'll never hear it. The world is conning, it's crushing people to the point where they are pushed into these beliefs to line up with what's going on in the world. So the very serious question needs to be asked of us. Are we going to submit to the world and what they're telling us or are we going to submit to God's word and what he's clearly laid out, get this, for our good, for our joy and for his glory? At Canterbury Gardens, we believe in the full authority of God's word. It's fully inspired by God who breathes life into it. And with the help and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, our desire is for all of us to live out God's word in our lives, not in our strength, but in his, because we can't do it in our own strength. We find that time and time again. It's an amazing book. You read it? 66 books. 40 authors over a period of you know, 1,500 years or so. It's written in three different continents, by, in three different languages. It's written by kings and scholars and priests, a shepherd, fishermen. Remember Nehemiah? He was a, a cupbearer. This amazing thing that's been put together over all of these, uh, the diversity of languages and geographical areas and authors and time differences. But despite that, its unity, its consistency and its accuracy is amazing. All the prophecies that are given in the Old Testament, bang, there they are. They happen. There's not one that has not happened. But there are some good ones to come that we look forward to and we await. Add to this the fact that God speaks to his people through his Holy Spirit as we read and look at his word. It comes alive. It's a great book. It's good for us. We hear these verses very, very often. I'm going to read them again today. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for these things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Yeah, people say, oh, you think you're a bit righteous. It's great to be righteous. You know what it means? There's nothing we can do. We've been made right with God because of what Jesus did at the cross. I'm happy to say that I've been made righteous by Jesus because I'm not righteous. He made me that way. So that the servant of God, that's us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Whose good works? God's good works. This is a good thing. Let me read it again. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let's delve into this God-breathed resource this morning with confidence and see what we can glean together in our time uh, together this morning when it comes to the subject of the cross and the family. So how did God get this family thing happening in the first place? And I'm going back, and I know most of you know this story, but there may be some people who have never heard this before. So it's good for us to remember anyway. We go back to Genesis, the first book in the Bible. And in Genesis, we see God creating the heavens and the earth and the plants and the animals, and then he forms this man and he breathes life into him. How cool is that? Then a little later, he sees him sort of working. He goes, oh, this is not good that this guy's by himself. It's not good for a man to be alone. So what he does is in Genesis 2:21, a few verses there, it says this, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, which was a good idea probably too, would have been a bit messy, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made a woman and brought her to the man. Thank you, Lord. That was a good idea. We like that. 
Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So there we have it in Genesis. The family is established just as God designed it. Love it. So there we have it. We're going to come back to this family a little later and see how they're going. Okay. Let's go to the Ephesians passage. If you've got your Bible there, Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and starting at verse 21. Now, I'm not going to spend as much time as you think I'm going to here, but this is very, very important indeed. It's interesting. It's a passage that Paul lays out some instructions to the church in Ephesus and indeed for us, a lot about marriage, a lot about um, children uh, too. There's some bits and pieces in there. I think it's interesting that people feel so awkward when these verses come up and they might have a friend who doesn't normally go to church and they go, oh, no. Oh, this is, I hope he doesn't feel offended. I hope they don't feel offended. You know what? These are fantastic words. These are wonderful, wonderful words for the Christian. Wonderful words. And they're wonderful words for the world if we will listen and do things God's way. You see, in marriage, both the husband and the wife are equal. Don't ever forget that, men. Both husband and wife are equal before God, but each have got what? A different role to fulfill. And both are essential for the marriage to work well and for the family to function as God designed it, and more importantly, so that it gives glory to God because he invented it in the first place and he loves it when we do things his way. Okay, let's read a little. Uh, we start with that verse 21. Interesting, Shabu started there too at the wedding uh, last week. I love starting there. I think it's a good setup. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Just think what that means even for a start before we get anywhere else. Submit to one another in reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water to the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless." So marriage here becomes this beautiful picture of the church and church of marriage. I th- it's wonderful. I just love jigsaws and this fits together so, so I lied. I hate jigsaws actually. <laughs> that doesn't matter. Husband, head of the wife. Christ, head of the church, his body. Wives are submit to husbands as church submits to Christ. Husbands are to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So husbands, this is a tough gig. We need to take seriously, seriously, God's call on our lives to love our wives as Christ loves the church. Why? Because Jesus gave his life up for the church. Man, think about that for a second. These are not just words on a page. To do it well, how do we do this? Well, for starters, not in our own strength. It takes a stack of prayer. It takes constant repentance and constant submission and humility to come before God to ask him to help you to do that. Wives, will you help your husbands? Because we ain't that good sometimes. We're not great at this stuff. Will you be patient with your husbands when they mess up? Will you pray for them regularly? Instead of getting angry, stop, pray for them. And also, in the same time, discover the amazing role and the part that you have to play as a woman and as a wife in this relationship. Would you look at that as well? 
Okay, head with me to chapter 6. Told you we weren't going to stay there for a long time. Chapter 6, have a look. Ready, children? Ready, teenagers? Here we go. Children, in bracket teenagers, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Good deal, you guys. Good deal, young people. Obey your parents. And what? This is the first commandment with a promise that it will go well for you. It's not easy to obey. It's rotten because we don't want to obey. And when we see other people's behavior, we don't want to obey. We want to be like that. But this comes with a promise that it will go well for you. It's a good thing to do. And let me tell you, just by the way, young people, be thankful that you are not living in Exodus 21.17. Let me tell you what happened in Exodus, and Keith's laughing down the front here already. Exodus 21.17, this is when Moses has given the stuff to the Israelites, and this is what it says. Anyone who curses his father and his mother must be put in the naughty corner. Oh, hang on, that's not right. Here we go. Must be put to death. Wow, it's pretty serious. Be thankful that you're not living in these times. Do I hear an amen from the teenagers in the house? Okay. So things have changed, obviously, from Old Testament days, of course, but the command is still the same. Obey your parents. Honour your father and your mother, and it will go well for you. By being obedient to our parents, we're actually being obedient to God. Why do we be obedient? Well, if I do, then I'm going to get some good stuff happening because it's a promise, and God better keep his promise because I'm doing the stuff. No, no, no. When we love God or we trust in his word, we know what he says is true and we are obedient to that out of our hearts, then he will bless us. And it's a great thing that happens. Being obedient is not a, good, not a bad thing. It's a great thing to do. And it's honoured by God. And parents, I've got to tell you too, you have a role in your children obeying you. I was thinking about this and I really believe this is true. Because you see, if we fulfill our roles as parents and as husband and wife well, we're actually going to make it easier for our children and our teenagers to obey us. Because they will see consistency in our lives too. It's not that they shouldn't anyway, but the reality is we will make it easier for them. Let's go to verse 4. And split this in... Um, yeah, I've actually... I'll split this one. Here we go. Uh, fathers, yes. Okay. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. That's the first part. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let's first of all look at the exasperation part of it. I actually don't believe that fathers intentionally exasperate their kids or their teenagers. Some might, but I, think, I don't think fathers do it intentionally. What actually does it, and in fact, it's actually usually you women who pick us up for doing those things first, and thank you, because we need to be picked up for that stuff. What, what do I, when I say exasperate, what sort of things does that that mean maybe it's that occasionally you ridicule a child or a teenager in, in front of their peers or you put them down in front of their brothers or sisters or we find ourselves wanting them to achieve our goals for them or we might even attack them verbally or even physically sometimes and one of the worst ones is we we overprotect them that's actually exasperating as well to be overprotected but guess what else is to not be protected at all it's the opposite, but it's the same thing. It can be exasperating not to be protected at all. And one of the big ones, I think, and Floss and I were talking about this, is letting children be children, because guess what? They are children. 
They don't get all the stuff. They don't understand all the things. When we give some great big ranting speech to them, we go, what? I don't get that. They are children as well. I think I might have even told this story against myself in regards to Samuel. My wife picked me up on this as a while ago. Uh, Samuel's room. I I didn't want to go there, actually. (laughs) But Samuel's room was such a mess. And every night I'd get home from work, the first thing I would say, and I didn't realise I was doing, is, Samuel, you still haven't cleaned up your room. And one night my wife said to me, you know what? Every single day you come home, the first thing you say is, Samuel, you haven't cleaned up your room. And I love it how God refines us by the people he puts us together in our families and in our marriages. And I did think about it and I actually repented of that because I realised that it was a wrong thing to be doing. And so what I started to do instead was when he came home, give him a hug, say, hey, how was your day today? And you know what? Within two weeks, that room was in the worst state it's ever been in. (laughs) But the difference that had happened at that point is that our relationship had changed. I was exasperating this young man, but it was not a good thing to do. And I was rebuked by my wife in a very, not so loving at first actually now, I come to think of it, but in a way that she saw that some things needed to change. The second part of the verse tells us that we need to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You're going down to comfort him now, aren't you? (laughs) That we are to bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, Can I tell you, from my experience, the time that we have to train our children, that's about how fast it is. It's gone before uh, you realise it. And I, I'm telling, I've said this to parents just recently too. I get so jealous when I see parents with little kids now. I get really, really jealous. I went to a wedding yesterday, I was so jealous. All these little kids running around the place. Because to me, they were amazing days of great joy. But also great days of influence that we could have on our children as we trained them up in God's way. Sometimes really badly, sometimes pretty good, but sometimes, yeah, whatever. But they were great days reading to them, teaching them, walking with them, talking with them. Remember those verses out of Deuteronomy 6 that we usually use when we're having a child dedication. I love them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them a symbol on your hand and bind them around your forehead. That's great. I love those days. They're still around to a point, but they're a little bit different these days. And these days are so precious in the training of our children. You know, one moment you're walking along with this little two-year-old girl in your backpack, and you're walking along in the bush and you're singing this little song and you look and she's falling asleep and she's dribbling all over you and it's beautiful and the whole thing. And the next moment, suddenly she's holding your arm and you're walking down this church aisle in Hawthorne and Paul Lewis is at the other end. <laughs> it happens that fast. Training is so important. Many parents these days just let their kids do whatever they want to. It's sort of like the trend a little bit too. Ah, oh, let them discover things, you know. And what happens when you raise a dog and you don't train it? You ever done that? At first, oh, isn't he cute pulling all the shrubs out? Oh, look at him digging a hole. He can dig a hole. Great. What happens after a while? Suddenly it's not so much fun anymore. And we start to shout at the dog and blame the dog. Oh, hang on. We never trained this dog. It's actually our fault. It won't do what it's told and it doesn't know where its limits are. Parents, kids' church teachers, anybody, grandparents who are involved with children, 
We need to be training our children. We cannot let them run wild. We cannot laugh at them when they do something. Although I know it's hard not to laugh sometimes, some of the stuff they do, but we've got to correct them and we have to discipline these children or we finish up with tearaways and it's not good. We love our children by taking the time that's gone in an instant to encourage them, to teach them and to train them. That's how we love our children, particularly in this day and age. What are their eyes and ears hearing in the world, what morals are we hearing? What standards are we hearing that are getting further and further away from God's standard every single day as there is a rapid opposition to anything that is to do with Jesus, that is to do with Christian values? It is opposition. And sometimes they don't even know what they're opposing. They hear the word Christian, they hear the word Jesus, they're opposed to it straight away. But don't be surprised at that. Do not be surprised at that. Florina and I put a little bit of a list together and hopefully for some of you that are training our children, or teenagers, even though you wouldn't call it that, they don't know they're being trained, but you do it a bit more subtly. Interesting one. These ones, these are things we'd love to do. Read the Bible with them. Don't leave it on the shelf. Find what age they are. Read a Bible to them. Let them know the stories. Talk to them about that. Talk about this. Pray with them, but not only pray with them, teach them how to pray while you're praying with them. Explain what prayer is. Teach them how to pray. Learn through music. I love it. When I go out in the car park here, and some families arrive with a whole bunch of kids and you open the door and there's Christian music coming out and all the kids are singing. I love that. Kids learn scripture through songs. They learn truths through songs. There's enough rubbish on the, the radio the rest of the time. Fill their heads with things that are good. Uh, teach them about sin. But listen to me here. Don't burden them about sin. Teach them what it is, but then also tell them how it can be forgiven. Tell them how great it is that Jesus is able to forgive sin. Do not tell them about sin and burden them and knock them into the ground. Lift them up and show them uh, what Jesus can do. Be real with them. Let them know when you've made a mistake. I remember Lil saying this on a, um, a video we put together. Let them know when you make a mistake as well. Something you shouldn't have said. You've sinned yourself. Tell them, hey, I, you know, dad or mum, we, we need to repent of that. I'm really sorry we said that. It's not what God wants of us. Will you forgive us? Wow, we just trained a child when we did that. Let the child, this is important, let the child matter, uh, know that no matter what they have done wrong, you will not reject them, but rather you will talk about it with them. And listen to this, create an atmosphere so that they can always talk to you without fear. Without fear. Train them to see that there is always hope. Always hope. Don't ever leave a conversation without them knowing that there is hope. And you know what, if you do this, sort of like Proverbs, you know, Proverbs really could be said probabilities. If you do these things, the probability is that this is going to happen. Here's a probability. If you do these things and you train your child up in these ways, there's a very good chance that your relationship with them when they're an adult will still have that tinge to it. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing because the scene was set when you were training them as a young child. So, question. Who's doing the training in your house? The TV, the computer? I don't know. No criticism here at all. Boy, we did some, if you want to know stuff that went wrong in family, come speak to me. I'll give you some great stories, okay? But maybe it's just time to refocus, reload, take some responsibility for the training ourselves, for the children that we have been given and blessed with. They are a gift from God. So talk to them, encourage them. And not only that, seek out people within the body of Christ that you've seen do it well and speak to them. Be trained by them. Ask them questions as to how that all happens. 
So, all these helpful instructions in Ephesians 5. Uh, do we wake up in the morning, roll over, read the passage and go, ha today's going to be a no-brainer. It's going to be easy. Submit to my husband, respect my husband, love my wife as I love myself. Yeah, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Love my wife as Christ loved the church. Shouldn't be too hard. Obey my parents. No worries. I did that twice last month, last year. Um, well, no. We cannot do these things. They're actually impossible to sustain without messing up at some stage. We are not God. And we are not perfect, in case some of you hadn't picked that up yet. Let me lead you in not being perfect. It was the same with the expert of the law. Remember the expert of the law, the lawyer, that uh, came along and uh, he came to Jesus trying to trick him. And he goes, uh, like, um, so tell me how, I, how do we inherit you know, eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, well, what do the scriptures say? How do you read it? And the lawyer goes, well, love the Lord your God with all your, uh, your heart, your soul, your mind, your, your strength and, and love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus said, yeah, you got it right, well done, do that and you will live. And now the lawyer's got a messed up mind because he knows it's impossible to love God with all those things 100% of the time. It is not possible to do. And that's the same with us. Wives submit to your husbands as Christ submits to the, as, as the sorry, uh, wives submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. Are you kidding me? 100% of the time, you can't do that. And, and husbands, men, you know, I mean, seriously, love our wives as Christ loved the church and died for her. Seriously, you should see the guy that my wife married. He is hopeless. He cannot do these things all the time. It's impossible. Sometimes he gets it right. A lot of the time he gets it wrong. But he needs help with that. It's a standard that's been set that we cannot attain to by ourselves. And the good thing is that God knows and he understands that. Because no matter what type of family or situation God's placed us in, there's this major stumbling block um, that we have. So we're going to head back to Genesis just for a second to see how that little family is doing of Adam and Eve. Remember before we read the beautiful words where God created a mate for Adam in the form of a woman and in effect we see this first human family. And they all live together happily ever after. Well, no. Because chapter 3 comes along in Genesis and we read about sin entering the world through disobedience to God. And this changes the whole ball game from this point on in history and the relationship with God. Eve's tempted by the serpent. Uh, the serpent. Adam and Eve eat from a tree of the knowledge of good and evil and bang, everything goes haywire. And sin enters the world and the perfect relationship that we had with God was fractured. So how does this family unit do following the arrival of sin? Well, not so good. First thing that happens is Adam and Eve start arguing about things, start blame game going. Then a bit later, they're blessed with some children, Cain and Abel. There's probably some more, but Cain and Abel. And Cain then, out of anger and jealousy, kills his brother, Abel. Any similarities here with your house? Any people blaming, any arguing, any siblings fighting? Of course there is. Because sin's entered the world, all people from this point of history are born sinful and with a rebellious nature. And it's the same with everybody in the room, every single person, even the little kids. Oh, not the little kids. Yeah, here's the scene. The scene is a car park. And there's a little three-year-old standing up in his car seat and his mother's leaning over the back seat and she's saying, sitting down in your seat, no. Mummy says sitting down, no. Mummy says sit down or I'm coming around there to sit you down in that thing and put you in your seatbelt, no. So mummy gets out of the car, goes round, slides the door open and forcefully puts the kid, puts the seatbelt on, gets in her car and the little kid's like this and she drives off. And in about half a kilometre, this little boy swaps over the front. I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> Kids learn sin very, very early. 
very, very early. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All family members, no matter what it looks like, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <coughs> Everyone. So, in that case, if that's the, the scene, here's the family unit in a nutshell. You ready for this? One sinner married to another sinner in a sinful, broken world, and when they are blessed, they introduce little sinners into the family as well. <coughs> These little ones that we know and we love as children. And you know what? The family is fantastic. What a blessing the family is. But the reality is that when you put all these things together, you can expect that there are going to be some difficult situations. A little... Why did water come out of the bottle? Because I shook it. Okay, let, let, me, let me put it another way. I'm going to put an inflection on one of the, the words, a little bit different this time. Why did water come out of the bottle? Because it was in there in the first place. Think about that for a second. Yeah, I shook it and water came out, but it came out because it was in there in the first place. Luke 6, 45, listen to this. The good, man brings, <coughs> the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart <coughs> and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart for out of the overflow of his heart the mouth speaks. The water <coughs> came out of this bottle because the water was in the bottle. Words come out of our lips because the thoughts are already in our hearts. And when we're shaken up by a family member or there's a situation or a conversation starts getting a bit heated or, or we've been accused of something, whether it's right or wrong, what comes out of our mouth is a result of what's already in our heart and then it's either going to be honouring to God or it's not going to be honouring to God. You know when you, you say like some nasty thing, you say, oops, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I've got news for you. You might meant to say that, but what came out of your lips was already in your heart anyway. That's just how uh, this thing works. Ever since sin entered the world, the mouth has been the most effective tool in expressing sin alongside its cousin, uh, the heart. In the letter of James, we even read that no man can tame the tongue. Remember that thing? It talks about the tongue as fire and, all, and poison, all sorts of things, if it's used that way. The ripe old age of 58, I've had three heart attacks. Not a bad effort, eh? <clears throat> I know that I have a heart problem physically. But, you know, the reality is that I have a more serious heart problem when it comes to God. And I can even show you this heart problem, and sometimes all I need to do to show you is to open my mouth and speak. And the news is that every single one of us here has this same problem. We all have a heart problem. When we're not close to God, when we're not in his word, we're not in fellowship with him, what normally comes out? Words of spite, anger, ridicule, gossip, blame. And what happens when we're right with him and we're really in the spirit and we're listening to God and we're in his word and we're obeying him? What comes out? Words of encouragement, joy, happiness, comfort, understanding, words of grace and mercy no matter what the situation, because it's God doing the work. Proverbs 10, 11, I love it. The mouth of the righteous, those made right with God, the mouth of the righteous is the fountain of life. Isn't that great? As Christians, as people that belong to God, when we open our mouths up, we should be bringing forth life into the world. The mouth of the righteous is the fountain of life. The most destructive tools in any family, no matter what shape, size, description you're in, are the hearts and mouths of the people who belong to it. So we need to check ourselves. There's potential to lift up, there's potential to tear down. 
because I've seen all of us will experience heart problems until Jesus returns or until we go to be with him. Hasten that day, Lord. Or maybe if you had three heart attacks, you shouldn't say that too. Well, I really have to watch that one bit. In 2 Timothy, we heard earlier that God's word was good for instruction, right? So let me read some valuable instructions from Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. And note this beautiful PS that comes at the end of it. Listen to these words. This is God's word. Listen to this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be benefit to those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is what happens when we speak these other ways. We grieve God's Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the one you're grieving is the one that has sealed us, is holding us until the day of redemption. We are redeemed by Christ. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling, slander along every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. P.S. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you Christmas is coming you're going to see a lot of family members in the next couple of months in fact when you get home you're going to see the family members that you see every day some of them have been difficult and as hard as it is for you to hear so have you In light of what Jesus has done for us at the cross, in forgiving us when we were the ones who deserved death, not Jesus, how are we going to approach these people this year or at the end of this year? I've got a couple of suggestions. Pick one or two. See your family, with God's help, through new eyes. See them as Jesus does, not as you have in the past. Pray for your family, even the difficult ones, correction, especially the difficult ones. And remember that they are sinners just like you. Love your family. What's a good reason for doing that? Colossians 1.13 will do it for me every time. Colossians 1.13. For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness where we were in sin and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is every reason to treat our family as God wants us to. So when we as individuals consider the cross of Christ, And what Jesus has done for us personally. And then consider life in our own family. What should our response be to the other members of that family? The three words I'm going to give you are simple. But the action required for these words is difficult. And it requires God to do the work and not you. So don't say, I'll write them down, then I'll try this out. Because you'll never do it. It requires God to do the work in you. Here are the words that we'd like, you know, we'd do well to stick them up on our walls. when we write them around our wrists maybe. When we consider our response to our family, grace is the first one that Jesus showed us when we did not deserve it. You got any family members that don't deserve grace? Jesus would have given it anyway. Are you going to? Am I going to? Mercy that he gave to us despite once being his enemies showed mercy on us. And forgiveness. 
full and complete forgiveness. Because for those who are believers, that is what Christ has done for us. And as a result of that, we must forgive others. God wants us to be copycats of Jesus when it comes to using these words. And I'm going to add one more word to finish. And that's what comes about when you submit to God, when you are obedient to him, when you do these things, when you change your ways of dealing with your family and do it as God would do it, it brings you great joy. We are greatly loved. We are a family under God for those of us who know Jesus. Let's treat each other right, but don't try and treat each other right. Let's leave that up to God as we pray and get on our knees and ask him to do the work. Let's pray. Father. Wow, Father. You have adopted us into your family. We do not deserve to be in your family and yet in your grace, with your grace and mercy, Father, you have adopted us into your family and you will never, ever, ever let us go and for that we are grateful. Lord God, for those here today who do not know you, who have never encountered Jesus, that they might seek him, Father, that they might see their sin and that we can't do things by ourselves, Lord God, and that they might come to him and ask forgiveness and immediately be forgiven, Lord God, that they might have life in you and life more abundantly than anything else there is. Father, would you help us with a difficult situation? You know the people in our family, Father, that we struggle with. You know our cousins, you know our grandparents, you know the whole thing, Father. Would you start with us, Lord God? Would you change our hearts that we might be the instigators of your work? Father, we know we need to humble ourselves before you Would you go with us, Lord God, because we are not capable ourselves. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for who you are, for what you've done for us, and we thank you in your good name. Amen.